0: when you angie that download the free angie mobile app today or visit angie.com that's a n g i . c o m
1: ladies and gentlemen boys and girls you're listening to ratchet and respectable with demetria l lucas I don't know where you are in the world, but in my land, we are still on lockdown. Maryland is on lockdown until at least May 15th. So nine more days from today when I'm taping. L.A. is about the same. Some of you are experiencing freedom. Hopefully you are still practicing social distancing or just keeping your ass indoors. Because although many places have opened, I do not feel that many places are safe. I want you to be safe and healthy. Even if you do not die from COVID-19, there's no need to get sick and suffer from it either. But for the first time in a while, it does seem like there are things to look forward to. I don't mean like, you know, normal things like going outside. There's some events on the horizon that I'm really excited about. Jill Scott and Erica Badu have a versus battle coming up. I don't know who wins that one. I like their music both very much, and Erica Badu, especially, has had a profound impact on my image of beauty, fashion too. but I love, I love, 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 Erica Badu, all of her albums. Jill Scott? Do not love all of Jill Scott albums. I love at least one song off every Jill Scott album. I respect her artistry and her work, even if it's not always. My flavor. I always respect her voice. The girl can't sing. Gotta give her that. And she can write some lyrics. So can Erica. So it'll be interesting to see what this battle is and who wins. I don't have many regrets in life. I think things happen for whatever reason they do. But fifteen million years ago, in Brooklyn, Dave Chappelle threw a block party and Erica Badu and Jill Scott had a sing off of sorts. On the chorus to The Roots. You got me. And it was amazing. And I would have been there in person. Because I knew about it. And everyone I knew went. But I was sick as shit. And I was going to go out in the cold. Sick nonetheless. I mean everybody and their mom was going to be there. Like the roots were huge to me. And then it rained. And this is pre-days of Instagram. Instagram. And Instagram lives. And everyone having video on their cameras. So it happened. And I might have seen a picture or two. Because people weren't really taking pictures on their phones like that. And everyone wasn't walking around with a Nikon. And then maybe like a year later. Dave Chappelle block party dropped. And I was like yeah. I should have risked it all for that. Yeah. But so I'm really looking forward to, to this versus. This battle. Babyface is doing another, it's not a versus, he's doing a Mother's Day event on his live, not with anyone, just him. It's the 25th anniversary of Waiting to Exhale and the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack, which Babyface produced. It has a legendary lineup of artists and Babyface is going to do some sort of ode to Waiting to Exhale for Mother's Day. He's gonna tell the stories of how the songs came to be, and he said there may be some special guests. So maybe a Mary J. Blige, maybe a Tony Braxton, who knows? But I will definitely be tuning in for that. My prayers about an Obama commencement have been more than answered. Many people had said that they wanted Barack Obama to do a commencement for the class of 2020. Oprah stepped up and she said, I will give a commencement along with some of my famous friends. I was fine with the Oprah thing. And I was like, well, maybe Oprah will invite Obama to drop by. I'd be fine with that. But Obama came through and he was like, no, no, I'm coming through three times. Literally three separate commencement speeches. The first one is specifically for HBCU students. So the first one is May 16th at 2 p.m. And then that night, May 16th at 8 p.m., Obama is giving a televised primetime commencement address for three million high school seniors. But this one is called Graduate Together, America Honors the High School Class of 2020. It's an hour-long event that will also feature LeBron James, Jonas Brothers, Yara Shahidi, Bad Bunny, Lena Waithe, Pharrell Williams, her, among others. ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC will simultaneously air the special along with 20 other broadcast and digital streaming partners. So essentially, we're getting a presidential address, which, thank you. Seriously, thank you. Because we called, we sent out the the hope sign. We have called Father Barack, come help us, come save us, come rescue us. Like, the person in charge is crazy. He's trying to kill us. And Father Barack has answered our call. He might not save us, but he's going to slide through with at least some hope because it's looking real dismal right now, real dismal. 71,000 dead at the time that I'm recording this. And when you hear it in the morning, it'll probably be 73,000. The final commencement is Saturday, June 6th. This one is on YouTube. It is a video graduation ceremony, dear class of 2020, and it's going to have commencement addresses from Barack Obama and, forever first lady, Michelle Obama, which I'm super excited about. They are going to deliver individual commencement speeches, but a joint message to graduates. I'll be tuning in to all three of the Obama commencements, and then I'll also be tuning in to the Oprah commencement Because you can never have too much black excellence and black fabulosity. I'm way too excited. You would think that I'm a graduating senior. If I knew where my cap and gown were, I'm at my parents' house. I'm pretty sure they didn't throw away my cap and gown. If I dig a little, I should be able to find it. But if you think I will not at least try to get this cap over my poofy hair to sit up and watch the Obamas give commencement speeches, if you think I won't, when I will, you don't know me. I'm so excited. Michelle Obama announced that she was doing this commencement on her Instagram page. And she wrote, some of you will be the first in your families to graduate from high school or college, making this occasion all the more special. And I know that none of you imagined you would be closing this chapter of your life through a computer or phone screen. But I still want to make sure you get the celebration you deserve. Why'd I cry? You would really think I was the first in my family to graduate and I had never graduated from anything. I have two degrees, which obviously means I graduated from high school. I've had three major graduations. You would think I never had one. I'm way too excited about this. You know what else I was very excited about? Michelle Obama's documentary on Netflix. Netflix. Now, I think I said when she was doing the tours, I was like, I hope they're recording this. I hope this is being recorded. I hope they're documenting this. Like, there should be a documentary about the Obamas. Like, I was just talking. I didn't really think that it was occurring. And then, like, a week ago, because that's all you need now in the digital age. A week ago, Michelle Obama was like, yeah, everyone. So, I have this documentary that's coming out on Netflix next week. I hope you tune in. What? So, we came out East Coast time, 3 a.m., Guess who stayed up all night and at 3.01 a.m. was on Netflix trying to watch the movie? And I think a bunch of other people were, too, because it was real choppy in the beginning. And I was like, oh, the whole world is trying to download this at one time. I feel good. I wasn't the only person that stayed up till 3 a.m. to watch. It was so good. I bought Becoming as soon as it came out. I was in LA looking for apartments when it dropped and I went to the store and I bought the book and I wasn't going to have time to read it because I was apartment hunting, but I carried that thing around in my purse. Like it was a badge of honor and would pull it out and be like, oh yeah, I got this book. I was stunting that book. Like it was a new bag. I wanted everybody to know, oh yes, I have Michelle Obama's book. It was a very thick book. But when I got some free time, I sat down and I read that thing. I want to say maybe three or four days, if that. I rushed through it because I was like, oh, my God, this is so fascinating. Like, cancel everything. I went to the tour. I went when she was in D.C. Me and my mom went together. She was amazing. It was her and Valerie Jarrett. And Barack Obama came out and I screamed. Like, I screamed until I went hoarse. I think there's a highlight on my Instagram page where you can hear me screaming when Barack Obama comes out. Like, I'm filming and screaming at the top of my lungs. It's great. People who are in love with Michelle Obama all gathered together in an arena to have communal love for our favorite person. It was wonderful. I love that book so much that literally my very first podcast episode, January 2019, is a review of Michelle Obama. That's how much I loved Becoming and Michelle Obama. So staying up at 3 a.m., anyone who knew me should have known that was going to happen. I made it 2 minutes and 22 seconds. I checked the time. Of the documentary before I started crying. And not because I was sad, but like really, I just, for the 89 minutes of that documentary, and I'm tearing up saying it now, I remember what it felt like to feel hopeful. Like the leaders in charge knew how to lead, like they actually cared about our well being, like the bottom wasn't gonna fall out this whole Trump presidency has been a shit show. But since this virus started, since this pandemic began, like I just have felt very, not even cynical, nihilistic. Like I just feel like this is the end. I do this recap on my social media pages called America Series Finale. And I recap the big news stories of the day, which all sound batshit crazy. And the joke is that, there's gotta be a writer's room and a production team that is putting all of these news stories together because they're so crazy that this just can't be life. Like this has to be someone who's intentionally and willfully orchestrating this crazy. Cause it just can't happen on its own. So that's like one of my ways of coping. But like I remember when I didn't have to cope. Like I had my own personal struggles, but I didn't really feel like America was falling apart. But there were times during the Obama years where I thought, like, maybe everything will be all right. Apparently not. (laughs) But it's a really, really good documentary. I wrote a quick review at, like, 7 a.m. this morning. Like, I stayed up, watched the documentary twice, and then put a review up on my social media pages. And no spoilers, but just to say, like... I really enjoyed it and I thought it was wonderful and I think if you like me want 89 minutes of hope because that's really what it provided then it's worth a watch. It wasn't what I was expecting. I don't know what exactly I was expecting. I think I thought it would be pure rockumentary and in parts it is like you get all the Behind the scenes, preparing to go on stage, getting dressed, hair and rollers, picking out outfits, the group prayer before the celebrity goes on stage, behind the curtain, waiting for the name to be called, and then the walk out and the, the roar of the audience. You get all of that. You get the performance of Michelle Obama on stage being interviewed by various celebrities, celebrity journalists. So in that sense, it is rockumentary. But you also get a deeper sense of... Michelle Obama, the person. Michelle Obama goes to her childhood home. She talked about it extensively in the book. And so it was just good to see what the house looked like. She talked a lot about her father who used to sit in his recliner. And so you get to see the recliner that Father Robinson used to sit in. You see Michelle play the piano. And I vividly remember the early story in her book where she talks about learning to play the piano. On a piano with chipped keys and middle C was chipped. She did a piano recital with her instructor and there was a fancy piano and she sat and looked at the piano and she didn't know where to begin because she couldn't find middle C. She was always used to a chipped piano and when it was all pristine, she didn't know where to begin. Metaphor for a lot of things in the book, but middle C. I never forgot that. Watching her with her family, She is not the rock star of the family. Her brother is clearly her mother's favorite, which is good for him. Because at some point in the documentary, he says, like, my sister is the most popular person in the world. He was like, that should never happen to a brother. The girls, Sasha and Malia, are in the documentary. I was excited to see them. In the reviews of the documentary that I read before it dropped, Much Ado was made about the the first daughters being featured, they are literally on camera for 15 seconds. That's it, like 15 seconds, an hour and change into the documentary, which again is only 89 minutes. But it was worth it. Like we've watched them grow up from little, little girls and now they're very beautiful young ladies. Sasha Obama is the cutest thing I've ever seen on feet. She is adorable. She's such a beautiful girl. Not that Malia doesn't look nice, but I'm partial. I like Sasha. It is what it is. I think my favorite part of the documentary, though, oddly enough, as much as I love seeing the girls, as much as I love seeing Father Barack, who was just a complete rock star, like he walks backstage in the arena and between the walk and the security and the angle of the camera, I'm like, you might as well be looking at like a rapper like he's he's so larger than life like I loved it but part of the becoming book tour 36 stops was Michelle Obama doing these stadium status events right in addition to that she would spend her days meeting with small groups of women and girls lots of women and girls of color in the city she was in so these were also filmed as well the best part of the documentary to me, was seeing her in these sister circles and watching people respond to her, watching her pour into others, and then watching them pour into her. Every time she walks into a room, people react. There is the typical reaction of, oh my God, I'm seeing a celebrity. So like the gasp when you turn to your friend. But there's also this look of There's this scene early on where she walks into a room and the camera turns to a young Black girl. She sees Michelle Obama walking and she imitates the sway of Michelle Obama's shoulders. And it's like, I'm tearing up again. She sees an adult version of herself. She sees who she could be in Michelle Obama. There's another scene where she's sitting in a group of young girls and they're asking her like, how do you push forward how do you push through like when everyone tells you you can't do it or you're the first person in your family that's getting it done so then what and she pours into these girls and it just it means so much to for someone you admire to see you to build your confidence it just it matters it matters the other scene that struck me is Michelle Obama goes to a church and she's sitting with a group of black women who are probably her mother's age or older. And she's sitting amongst this group of women. And you know, older black women don't be impressed with nothing. You know, they done live, they done seen. It, it is what it is. They want some, we all God's children. We're all equal in the eyes of God. So Michelle Obama is sitting amongst them and she asked them, she says, what advice do you have for me? Because they've lived longer. They've seen more. And the woman says. Just take your time. She's a black woman. She's like she was 75. Which probably means she's like 90. But she's like just take your time. That's it. My grandmother used to say just keep living. In times that I did not always want to. I'm glad that I did. Didn't see it turning around for me. At the time. But it did. There's just a Really feel-good, wonderful documentary. So watching this documentary, one thing that really struck me was how good it was to see a Black woman who was considered a lady. Not just first lady as in title, but first lady as in lady. Like A Black woman was considered the epitome of, of excellence, of elegance, of intelligence, of beauty of grace. That's very rare. One of the hazards of the many hats that I wear is I spend a great deal of time online and the subjects that I talk about a lot of stuff is dating and relationships still as much as I try to stray away from it it just it's my core it is what it is. I hear a lot of the worst of the worst of opinions of black women and how they love and how they look and what they do. There's just so much negativity directed Towards us. But watching Michelle Obama. The way people responded to her. That how she was adored. And beloved. Not by everyone. But you don't need everyone. But the people who were in were all in. Like you scan across that audience. And everyone's just sort of looking up in the same direction. Staring in awe at this one. Very tall. Very powerful. Very beautiful. Black woman. It just... Warm fuzzies, man. It was good to see a black woman being appreciated, celebrated, loved, cherished. You don't always see that as often as you would hope. So a black woman, you don't often experience that as often as you would hope.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: I guess we have to discuss the raging global pandemic. We're on, I guess, two, two months in? Two months into quarantine. Probably two and a half months of trying to figure out WTF is going on. I don't know that we're any better now than we were. The death toll... it's dropping in New York, everywhere else. I I don't pay attention to the city by city anymore. I glance at the screen to see what the daily death toll is. So I think it's 71,000 right now. I remember when it was supposed to be between 100 and 250, which I was like, that's a wide range. And then it went back down. They were like, oh, see, it wasn't as bad as everyone said. It's not going to be that. So they readjusted the death toll to 60,000, which we hit very quickly and surpassed. And we've just been rolling right along. And everyone seems to think that it's normal that like the death toll goes up by like 2,000 every day. I'm like, this is not okay, people. Hello? This is not okay. Last I heard, the White House model was the number of deaths per day could be 3,000 by June. And everyone is just sort of like, well, okay, that is what it is. Like, I, how are we normalizing 3,000 deaths per day? Like, how I don't understand. Chris Christie, he's the former governor of New Jersey, who was once tapped to lead Trump's transition team, He got on a podcast with Dana Bash from CNN and was just like, look, everybody wants to save every life, you know, but, you know, towards what end? Uh He was like, we've got to let some of these folks go back to work because if we don't, we're going to destroy the American way of life and it will take years and years before we can recover. Trump has said about the same thing. The Lieutenant Governor of Texas, I think we talked about that last week, He said about the same thing. I'm confused about like, how do you have an American way of life if you're dead? Like, we're going to, we got to preserve the American way of life. Like, okay, how do the people, the 3,000 people who are dying every day, how do they preserve the American way of life? Like, these are just sacrifices. He goes on to talk about how people made sacrifices during war. And I'm like, okay, once again, I want to remind you that Vietnam lasted, like, what, 10 years? We lost the same number of Americans that we lost in the Vietnam War. We lost that in, like, a month and change. And we're fixing to do it all over again. We're going to lose the same amount of people we lost in Vietnam every month? And then talking about, like, oh, it's going to ease up soon. Like, numbers are falling. But then all the scientists are like, yeah, so no vaccine. It's going to come back with a vengeance in the fall. You should prepare yourselves. It's going to be worse. What? And look, I don't want the economy to tank. I want to go back to work. I want to thrive. I don't want to go broke. That's not my goal. But I also don't want to die. And I don't want anyone else to die. All up and down my Facebook timeline is rest in peace. One woman who's a friend on my Facebook page, we've been Facebook friends for years. Her mother, grandmother, and aunt died from COVID-19. Up and down my Facebook timeline is rest in peace to my mother, to my father, to my uncle, to my grandmother. I wish we had more time. Gone too soon. Like, I know so many people who have been sick. And people are just on some, like, if they die, they die. We need to open up the economy. There's got to be some better balance than this. There has to be. I'm not a politician. I, I don't know the answer, but I know just three thousand people a day dying is not okay doing Vietnam numbers of deaths every month I don't understand how that could be acceptable I don't your president because I can't claim him your president in the middle of a global pandemic which again 71,000 people dead is doing interviews at the Lincoln Memorial press ops essentially is doing interviews at the Lincoln Memorial where he likes to sit around and talk about how persecuted he is. He was like, I feel like I'm more persecuted than Abraham Lincoln. Sir, being talked about, being dragged the same way that you dragged Obama, because that's probably the most persecuted president, the same way that you dragged Obama about his birth certificate, the same way you dragged him tweeting all day and all night about everything that he did, that type of shit that you did to him, that's what's being done to you. Like you set the tone for the vitriol that you receive. And now you want to get on fucking television and complain. Oh, they're persecuting me. They don't like me. They always talk bad about me. The fake media, the lamestream media, sir. It's a global pandemic. Get out your fucking feelings and save lives. Guide us through this goddamn pandemic Get us out of here with as few casualties as possible. Find a goddamn vaccine. Get people some PPE. These are your focuses right now. How I know, but you don't know. But you want to get on TV and whine if they don't like me. Fuck them. They'll like you a whole lot more if you lead. They'll like you a whole lot more if you save lives. They'll like you a whole lot more if you get some goddamn tests in this bitch. That'll make you real likable. He's all worried about reelection and the economy. You know what would make people want to vote for you? Even people who don't like you. Save some lives. Find a fucking vaccine. That'll that'll give people some real second thought. Stop whining. That'll help too. I mean, I'll never vote for him. But you know, people who may be on the line. Be like, well, you know, he did turn it around in the end. He did find a vaccine. That'll help. Sitting up at the Lincoln Memorial whining all fucking day? Not going to help. The job of being a president is not to be liked. The job of the president is to be efficient. Get shit done. Don Lemon snapped. One night on CNN, he was just like, fuck this. I've had enough. He went full ham. And the internet, <laughs> because it is undefeated, they took a clip of Don Lemon on CNN, put a Knicks cap on him sideways, put a pigeon in the corner. The cover is still it? And added the beat to ether underneath his words. I'm gonna play it for you.
0: What is it about President Obama that really gets under your skin? Is it because he's smarter than you? Better educated? Made it on his own? Didn't need daddy's help? Life is more accomplished? Better looking? I don't know. What is it? What is it about? he's a black man that's accomplished game president and he pumped you on the whole birth certificate thing what is it about just
1: wondering don said he had enough he's not here for your shenanigans or your bullshit anymore don has had enough but i feel like he sums up like the thoughts of half of the american people because trump does still have supporters which baffled, I do not understand, baffled, but Don was just like, look, enough is enough, I'm tired of you and this bullshit you're doing, you and your issues with Obama, but Don went off, and I was like, this is how I feel, I I, I can't deal, I'm just gonna keep watching Netflix over and over and over and pretend that we're in a different time, remember when, um, what's that movie, Will Smith, I Am Legend, Will Smith used to sit around and watch Shrek all day to distract himself. That's what I'm about to do with Michelle Obama becoming. I'm just going to pretend like 2016 never happened. I'm just going to pretend we're in a different time. Oh, one, one more thing that your boy did. So Trump has been unable to do rallies for the obvious reasons of global pandemic and social distancing. Despite how safe that he says it is, it is not and to draw people out to a rally, his base, inevitably they would get sick and many of them would die. It is a bad idea to kill off your base in an election year. He misses his rallies. He was doing the press conferences. They were going along until he suggested that American people inject disinfectant. That that was the end of the press conferences. So he needs attention, right? So that's partly how you get these interviews at the Lincoln Memorial. There's no fucking reason to be there. It made no sense to do that interview there, but he did it visually. It was strong. I'll give him that. He has decided that West Point should have a proper graduation. The West Point students were sent home. I think they went away for spring break and they were like, don't come back because there's a global pandemic. So they were trying to figure out what they're going to do for graduation with West Point. Trump gets up one day and was like, yeah, I'm going to do a commencement at West Point. West Point, according to New York Times, had not been spoken to, had not been consulted, had not been involved. They heard about it when everybody else did. So they were like, wait, what? They don't have a say so here. West Point is a military academy. Trump is the commander in chief. So West Point is going to have to bring back the thousand members of its graduating class for an actual in-person commencement ceremony because Trump wants to speak. It's a PR move. He wants the, the visual of the graduates and him as the leader of military, all the pomp and circumstance that goes into not just graduations, but military affiliated things. So that's what he's doing. So West Point, has been trying to figure out the logistics of this. And the New York Times was privy to what they're trying to figure out. So it seems that these kids are going to have to come back from wherever they are. They're going to have to fly into New York or New Jersey. Might I remind you that New York and New Jersey are the epicenter of the coronavirus situation in the United States. Literally, The most dangerous place you could go right now is New York or New Jersey, but he's calling the students back upstate New York. The students are going to have to come. Three weeks prior to graduation, they're going to have to be quarantined to make sure that they're safe for graduation so they can all gather for this press opportunity. You signed up, you want to be in the military, you want to be in the armed services, you want to fight for your country, you know, you respond to the call of duty. It's one thing to do some shit, to fight for the greater good. You asking these kids to risk their life for a fucking photo op. That's grimy. You don't give two shits about these people and their service to a nation. You want the photo op. And I'm trying to figure out what that's going to look like. You sitting up here doing a commencement address. This doesn't happen until the middle of June where they're projecting 3,000 dead per day. So this is what you're going to do. 21,000 people dead in a week. You're going to be sitting up at a photo op. You're going to drone on about nothing with a third grade vocabulary with the bodies piling up. It's so going to be like 100,000 by June. And this is going to come after three very public addresses by Obama, one of which is running on every major network. I want to see what Trump is going to do to distract from Obama's commencement, because ain't no way he going to let Obama just be on every network for an hour one night. And he ain't going to do some dumb shit. We're going to go to war the day before. He's going to try to do like an actual presidential preemptive address, breaking news in the middle of the speech. He's going to do something crazy. That's one thing I trust Trump to do. Cause panic and chaos. Save a life. Find some PPE. Shut the fuck up. Things he cannot do. Cause chaos. Expert. Genius level. We got 10 days before Obama takes over all the networks. Let's see what happens. May the odds be forever in our favor. Have you been watching this Jordan documentary on ESPN? It's really good. The Last Dance. It's a 10-part documentary on Michael Jordan. Specifically, his six championship wins. My whole family and I have made a ritual of it. My mom and I watch in the kitchen... Drinking wine, or at least I drink wine. I do a live group discussion on my Facebook page. And my dad, he don't want to be bothered with our random commentary. So he watches on his big TV in the living room. I feel so bad for my dad. Like he loves sports and there's nothing to watch. This Jordan documentary has been holding him over while there are no sports being played. But it's a really good documentary. I wasn't, am not a big basketball fan for obvious reasons. I know who Jordan is. I know like the big cultural moments, the wins, the dream team, the sneakers, the Spike Lee commercials, stuff like that. The divorce, his father, air Jordan, he flies. But I didn't know like the ins and outs of him and the team. I knew Pippen. I knew Rodman. I didn't know anybody else on the team. Didn't pay attention to the coach. So a lot of this is very eye opening. To me, like things that I had like glimpses of knowledge about. And it's like, oh, that's the story behind that. Or, oh, that's why that happened. One thing that stands out as an omission to me. And again, I mean, this is on ESPN. It's a sports documentary. It focuses on a specific time in Jordan's life. But his wife is not mentioned. Jordan met his wife when they were very young. They were married for 17 years. They have three children together. She was with him from early on until past the championship years and she doesn't come up in the documentary. Now they did get divorced. At the time of their divorce, it was one of the largest settlements in history. She walked away with 167 million plus the house and I'm sure some other things. Possibly some alimony in addition, likely some child support. The kids were not grown at the time of their divorce. But it just seems weird. I'm like, I think who you love says a lot about who you are i think things that happen off the court greatly influence things that happen on the court like much ado in the documentary is made about jordan's laser-like focus and how he was able to just you know block everything out and get shit done that's great when you're a single man and your only responsibility is you but like when you have a wife and kids like how does that play out or how like, does it happen? Like the very normal things that happen in people's lives, the ups and downs. Things happen to the kids. They get sick. They get injured. You have disagreements with your partner. Big blow ups. These things happen. But how do you block all that out to focus on the work? I think that's valid. I think that's interesting. We haven't gotten to the part in the documentary where Jordan's father was murdered But by all accounts, like people were like, oh, yeah, like his father was killed and he quit basketball shortly after that. That's the story I always heard. But like, that's a prime example. Something happens off the court. It affects your decisions on the court or about the game. Nothing with your wife. I'd make less of a deal of it because I read early on that his wife wasn't included. And they were like, they're just focusing on the sports. And I was like, oh, okay. But then you get to the section about Dennis Rodman. And Carmen Electra comes up. Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra were married for five months. But Carmen Electra is mentioned. She actually is featured, not just mentioned. She's mentioned and she's featured in throwback footage. There's pictures and there's pictures and video of her. Literally, we see a reflection of Juanita in one of the trophies. And after one of the wins, they ask Jordan, "Do you want to call your wife?" And he says, "Yes." So far, that's like the extent. Of his wife's mention. And I was like that's just weird. I don't expect him to drag her. I don't expect her to actually be featured. But I just think it's weird. That you're talking about this specific time period. In your life when you were married with three kids. And your wife isn't even mentioned. I think one of the kids was shown. Being with Jordan. In like two seconds a clip. I'm just like. Ah. It's an interesting choice. And I don't necessarily want tea. I just want to mention of the woman. I can't possibly imagine a documentary about a woman and her partner doesn't come up. Like even Toni Morrison, we don't really know much about her husband. She was married and divorced. But in the documentary on Toni Morrison, there's at least a throwaway line that like, you know, I was married. We had two kids and then we went our separate ways. And she doesn't say anything more about her husband for the rest of the documentary. But I'm like, oh, OK, like she was married with two kids. All right. That didn't work out. And he just he went off into the wind. OK, I'd be fine with saying why Juanita went off into the wind. But I'm just like to pretend she doesn't even exist is strange. It's also very weird how men men are considered great by their work. Women can do whatever it is they want to do. But if they're not considered a great mother or a great wife. Everything else is considered void. Like, oh, okay, you got some degrees, that's wonderful. Okay, you're running this company, that's wonderful. Are you married? Do you have kids? It's not weird. I say the word weird sometimes, but it's just sexist as fuck. Like, men are judged on their occupations. Women are judged on their personal lives. Do you have a man? Do you have children? Oh, okay, those are intact. Oh, okay, well then now you can tell me what you do and I might care. Where's Jordan? You can have a 10-part documentary. Your wife of 17 years is reduced to a reflection in a trophy and someone asking, do you want to call her? Otherwise, the documentary is good. I'm shocked at how good most of these people, I would say 90% of the people featured, and mostly men, but 90% of the people featured, it's been 30 years since their heyday. They're all in their late 50s to mid 70s, and nearly everyone looks great. I'm like, is that just black? Is that money? Is that health? Like, is everyone not drinking liquor and drinking all their water? Jordan probably has the most money of everybody and probably looks the worst, to be quite honest. And he doesn't look bad. But there's something happened about the eye area, which I'm like, you need to get that checked out, bro. I'm not a doctor. I won't make any diagnosis. But if your eyes are always bloodshot. You know you're going to be on camera to tape a 10-part documentary for ESPN about your legacy and there's no fixing the eye situation. Something's going on. I won't speculate as to what. I just, I hope Brother Jordan is okay. Genuinely, no malice, no jokes. I genuinely hope he is okay. Mm. One more thing that came up in the documentary that was interesting to me. Throughout Jordan's career, he more or less refused to get involved in Politics or activism, or make any bold statements. There's a particular time that always comes up. There was a black Democrat who was running to unseat an incumbent white Republican. Harvey Gann was the Democrat, and the white Republican was Jesse Helms. Gann was the Democrat, and the white Republican was Jesse Helms. Helms had a long list of racist transgressions. In Helms called the Civil Rights Act the single most dangerous piece of legislation ever introduced in Congress. He antagonized Carol Mosley Braun, the first female African-American senator, by whistling Dixie to her in an elevator. From most accounts by black people, he was a racist asshole. When Gantt and Helms were facing off in a 1990 Senate race, Michael Jordan was one of the most popular people in the world. The Gantt and Helms race was taking place in North Carolina, which is where Michael Jordan was from. Many people asked him to make a statement of support for Gantt, a black man, a black Democrat, and Michael Jordan would not. When asked why he wouldn't speak up, he was infamously quoted as saying, Republicans buy sneakers too, which is a completely dick thing to say. In The Last Dance, he clarified that that line was a joke, an off-color joke that he made on a bus. It was never intended to get to the press. So he didn't apologize for it and he doesn't plan to now. So 30 years ago. He also addresses in the documentary his lack of, of activism. And he says flatly, I didn't think of myself as an activist. I thought of myself as a basketball player. And many people don't like that. I would love if Michael Jordan had been an activist. I love when people speak up for their beliefs. I love when people risk it all. I love when people go balls to the wall and say what needs to be said. I also completely understand why people don't do it. It's a high cost. Muhammad Ali is revered for speaking out against the Vietnam War, but he paid a huge cost for doing so. Lost his title, wasn't able to box at the prime of his career. Lost a lot of money. Did trying to make up for lost time play a factor in why he didn't retire early? Did he continue fighting past his prime, which by most accounts led to his Parkinson's disease? I don't know. Was it worth it? Could be. He's revered now, but it could have gone a whole nother way. You look at people like Colin Kaepernick. He took a knee. He took an L. He desperately wants to play in the NFL to this day. He's been blacklisted. It's not going to happen. He had to give up on his dream. Like he stood for something. He'll be remembered for standing for something. His name will go down in history but he took a huge L. Everyone's not willing to do that. I respect the people who do, but I also respect the people who don't. And I think more people who demand that celebrities speak up, who demand that people say something, should also consider the cost, and not just financial, mental as well. If you are a person who has ever been spoken ill about and it's gotten back to you and you've been upset, then you should understand why celebrities, other public figures, don't want to speak up. I think a lot of people don't, fully understand what it is to be a celebrity to deal with celebrity there's a lot of perks to it you get to fulfill your passion that's dope you get to make a lot of money if you sign a good contract that's dope but it comes with a lot of downfalls and it's one thing to take the L's that are directly related to your career but to stick your neck out only for it to get chopped to draw more venom to yourself when you don't have to do it I understand why people don't. The scrutiny of public figures is unreal. Even before social media, nothing you say or do is right or good enough. Someone always wants to tell you where you are uninformed or ignorant or otherwise lacking. I totally get why Jordan sat it all out. I I do wish he had kept that comment about Republicans to himself. I mean, if you're going to opt out of politics, opt all the way out. As we have this discussion, Diddy is fresh off a crisis. He got on Instagram last week and was talking about voting and Joe Biden. He wanted to know what Biden's plan was for black people. He said the black vote is not free. He demanded to know what Biden was going to do in exchange for the black vote. And then he said if he didn't, if his demands weren't met, he was going to hold the black vote hostage. Now, I'm not sure what year Diddy believes it is and what exact influence he thinks that he still has over his audience. He has a platform, no doubt. Not sure he has the sway that he thinks he does, especially not when it comes to who to vote for or who to withhold a vote for. So I think that might have been a little of his uptown arrogance getting the best of him there. But people were really upset with Diddy. And they were like, are you suggesting we vote for Trump? Which I don't think he was. I think he wasn't clear in what he was saying. It left a lot of room for interpretation. So some people gave him the benefit of the doubt, fair. And then some people didn't, which fair, because he wasn't clear. I thought what Diddy was trying to say is, you can't just have our vote for free. You owe us something. You got to give black people something like you want black people to vote for you. You need to give a black agenda which I agree with him on. I just think the timing was off. Demanding a black agenda from Joe Biden, the best time to do that would have been when he needed our vote in the primary. Right now, he is the presumptive Democratic nominee. Everybody else is dropped out. And Biden knows he got black people by the balls in the votes. Like, what's your option? You get mad and don't vote for me? You gonna keep Trump? Now, I might not do shit for you, but this mofo is actively trying to kill you. I'm not that. So I don't have to do anything for you. I just have to not do anything to harm you. We're a little late in the game to be making demands. It was cute, though. It was a cute try. And I talked last week about my thoughts about Biden. He's not my favorite for various reasons, but he's also not Trump. That's really what Biden is running on right now. I'm not Trump. Will he make things better? Who knows? Will he make things worse? I doubt that. Look at what Diddy's going through. I completely get why Jordan wouldn't want to deal with that shit. Again, would love if he spoke up. Completely understand why he don't, why he didn't. I can't find fault in him not doing it. This is a good documentary. I look forward to catching the rest of it. Like This is appointment TV for me. Not that I really have anything else to do. At the time, but still, I guess we must talk about Ahmad Arbery. You have probably by now seen his picture up and down your social media pages. Ahmad Arbery was a young black man, 25 at the time. I think he would have been 26. This week, I think, was his birthday. He was jogging in Georgia in February when he was confronted by an ex-policeman and his son. This story's been out for a little while. People weren't really paying attention to it until a couple days ago. The original story of what happened to this young man was two men, a father and son, had seen Arbery running. In their neighborhood, their neighborhood had had several break-ins, and they thought that Arbery looked like the suspect. So they saw him running down the street, and they decided to confront him. Neither one of these men are police officers. Why are you just confronting a stranger that you see running? These two guys get in a truck, and they drove in pursuit of an innocent black man running down the street. They attempted to cut him off. He ran in the other direction. They continued to pursue him. They said, stop, stop. We want to talk to you. And this is their version of events. One of the guys pulled up next to Arbury. The son stepped out of the vehicle with his shotgun. And this is, again, their version of events. They say that Arbury attacked the son the two men began to fight over the gun and then the son fired a shot and then later a second shot and that's what killed him. With this version of the story, the district attorney said the men should not be arrested. They acknowledged that this man was killed, but they said that it was done in self-defense, which I'm trying to figure out like, What did you expect this unarmed black person who was running along, minding their black business to do? This is very much like the Trayvon Martin situation. Like the kid is walking home from the store with his hood up in the rain, snacking on Skittles and iced tea. And then some random runs up on him and is demanding answers. And he balks because he's like, who the fuck are you? Same situation here. Two random white men roll up on this black dude who's running, minding his business. They're telling him to stop. Why would he? Who the fuck are you? You're not the police. Why would I stop for you? You're a stranger. I don't have to obey your directions. And it's so very telling from these men that they just thought they could just roll up on some random black person and tell them what he was supposed to do. And they don't understand why the black person didn't immediately submit. Like, who are you? And what year do you think it is? Like, slavery is done. Ain't no freedom papers. We just free. But I don't understand why you just don't call actual police and let police show up and handle the situation. Because what you have now is a dead black kid who was minding his business and you murdered him. I don't understand how in the retelling of this story, you don't see how you were the threat. He was running along minding his business. You drove past him and cut off his path with your car and then approached him with guns. And then you say like he tried to fight you. Yeah, because you showed up with guns and blocked his path. You were a threat to him. Y'all looked fucking crazy. He was trying to live. And you killed him. There was no prosecution by the DA because... He said that the father and son had solid first-hand, probable cause that Arbery had committed burglary and they were in hot pursuit of him as a suspect. They don't know if he committed burglary. They don't they didn't see him do anything. The burglary that they're referring to, they said houses in the neighborhood had been broken into. And at some point on this run, they say that they saw Arbery looking at a construction site. He didn't steal anything from the construction site. He was looking at it. I I don't understand how looking at a construction site translates to burglary. But the DA said it appears their intent was to stop and hold a criminal suspect until law enforcement could arrive. Under Georgia law, this is perfectly legal. He claimed, this is the DA, that the death was a matter of justified self-defense. He also says that, in the video that's circulating on the internet, where Arbery is clearly scared, you can see the truck parked in front of him as he's running up. You can see him trying to dart away. You can see him tussling with someone in a with a gun while he is unarmed. The DA said that the video portrays Arbery instigating the skirmish, which I, I don't know what video you watched. That's not the video I saw. As of today, neither of these men have been arrested. Lee Merritt is representing Wanda Cooper, who is Arbery's mother, and he is very skeptical for obvious reasons of the justification under the citizen's arrest for the statute of Georgia. He cites, a private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in the presence Or within his immediate knowledge, if the offense is a felony and the offender is escaping or attempting to escape, a private person may arrest him upon reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. Merritt says that he has no reason to believe that either of the men involved observed Arbery committing a crime. Michael J. Moore, he's an Atlanta lawyer. He spoke to The New York Times and he said, just for clarity that the law does not allow a group of people to form an armed posse and chase down an unarmed person who they believe might have possibly been the perpetrator of a crime. This case is a mess. There's uh, a lot of ties between the father in this incident. He was a former uh, investigator for the district attorney, and he also worked for the local police department. So he has close ties to Any of the people that would be investigating or prosecuting. So for obvious reasons, this is a mess. But the video seems to be putting a full court press for something to be done. Within the last 24 hours, this video surfaces. I've seen people talking about it. I do not like to watch these kinds of videos. Somebody DM'd me this video and was like, D, look. I hate these videos. I hate when people send them to me. So if you can hear this, don't send me that shit. I've seen way more videos of snuff porn, is that what they call it? Murders on camera. I've seen them from, from Eric Gardner. I've seen them from Fernando Castile. But I've seen so many of those videos. Like I don't wanna see that shit. Like there's a part of me that is numb to it at this point. I also realized that that numbness is a coping mechanism. So the video has been widely circulated. And because it's so blatantly clear that it is no weapon, that he wasn't bothering anyone, people are calling for an arrest. So now the district attorney in Georgia says that a grand jury should decide whether charges should be brought. But because there's a global pandemic, the grand jury will not convene until early June. It's the beginning of May. This shit happened in February. So now the question is, well, can you just arrest their asses? And they're like, eh, they can. They don't want to. I'm like, you murdered someone that's on video. I don't understand why you can't arrest them. I, uh, I'm still trying to figure out where this video came from. Like who shot that video and has been sitting on it for the last three months? And his mother is on the news doing that thing. And and maybe because it happened in February, we're just hearing about it now. So everyone's shocked and outraged. She's had a little more time to process. But she's calm and peaceful and is, you know, I just want justice for my son. Black people having to act dignified and respectful In the face of unspeakable tragedy because your child being murdered is an unspeakable tragedy. That's a whole separate violation. Your kid is killed and you can't even lash out and be angry. Because then, you know, you're that type of black person. It's just a fucking shit show. Oh. I talk about these things because people hit me up and they say, Demetria, can you talk about Demetria? Can you lend Demetria? Can you say Demetria? Can you do? And I don't always have words for these things. The expectation of writers is that we're supposed to give voice to the things that other people don't have the words to say. They have the thoughts, but they're jumbled. They have the feelings. But, you know, expression, self-expression is not everybody's strong suit. As a writer, that's supposed to be my strong suit. I don't have it for everything. There's no special words. There's no turn of phrase. There's no alliteration or illusion that I can give you. Right now, there's no another dead black body. Another one, another one, another one. It just never fucking stops. I'm sick of hashtags. I'm sick of people's mamas alternately crying their eyes out and then not crying their eyes out and having to be the the face of stoic calm. Because if you actually show a normal reaction, if you actually show the rage that you actually feel, people lose sympathy for you. <laughs> I respect Mothers of the Movement, but I hate that there is a group of women who are known specifically because their children have been killed. And that you become celebrities, household names, because of the deaths of your children. That's tragic as fuck. I don't have eloquent words for that. They just keep killing black people. I didn't even go out for my walk today. And I walk like most days. I just didn't want to. And I live in a black neighborhood. Like literally everyone in the neighborhood is black. Everyone in the neighborhood next door is black. I just didn't want to go outside. Just. I see white people say things like. How does this happen? This is America. And black people are like. Yeah this happens. Because this is America. That's that. I'm blown. I have nothing else to add for the day. This time. Next week. Talk soon. In between episodes, you can follow me. I'm sorry. I just ain't got the energy. I can't talk about dead black people and then plug social media. I'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.